Okay, Philippians chapter 2, if you'd uh, turn in your Bibles there to Philippians 2. Third sermon, kind of in a series from, uh, from Philippians uh, chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, bless now the hearing and reading and preaching of your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. God has created you and me to learn by example, to learn by the example of others. Why do children growing up in Paris learn to speak French or those born in Beijing will speak Mandarin or in Mexico they will speak Spanish? The reason is they imitate those that they grow up around. That behavior, those languages are modeled before them. God has given that to us and, and that's why advertising works. That's why billions of dollars are spent selling cars or toothpaste or shampoo because usually there's a attractive person that models a behavior and we say, hey, I'd like to be like that, so I will purchase that product. The Bible speaks of the influence of examples. In Proverbs 13, 20, it says, he who walks with wise men will himself be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. First Corinthians 15 says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. So you have to ask, do I want to become like my companions, those with whom I spend most of my time? 
as a young Christian, I heard this and I wrote it down. I don't even remember who said it. said, you will never become more like Christ by choosing as your closest companions those who are far from him. But likewise, we learn from good examples too. In, the, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That sounds like a bold statement, doesn't it? Could you say to another person, well, just become an imitator of me as I am of Christ. That's his qualification. That's why the qualifications for church officer, for elder and deacon are character-based, not skill-based. They are character traits that are in a person. Jesus appointed the 12 disciples to be with him. Now, one of the most common means God uses to transform us is the modeling of more mature Christians. If you think back here to the earlier parts of Philippians in, in chapter 1, Paul has described his prayer for them. Remember, he planted this church 10 years before, now he's in prison, probably in Rome, and he doesn't know whether he'll be released, whether he'll be executed. He's pondering what will happen if he lives. He can continue ministering, and that would be beneficial for the people. If he dies, he'll go to be with Christ, which would be more beneficial to him. He voices all that in the, the first chapter. And then in chapter 2, he talked about the way to have unity is to put others more important than yourself, to look out for their own interests, and gives a supreme example of Christ, how he humbled himself through the incarnation and then died a, a servant's death, a horrible death, and now is ascended to the right hand of the Father, the place of honor. And now he's giving a few examples, a couple of examples also of humility and service. And the first is Timothy, and the second is Epaphroditus. So we can learn from examples like this. One of the reasons Paul says he's not going to send Timothy to them yet is for his own sake. He says in verse 19, and by the way, today we're just looking at verses 19 through the end of the chapter. He says, so that I may be cheered by news of you. He wants to find out how they are doing. And he commends Timothy saying, no one else has a genuine interest, not to the degree that he has. He doesn't mean that other people around him, maybe even other servants of Christ around him don't care at all. It's just that Timothy is exceptional. And he wants to send him, but he can't send him quite yet because he still needs him with him. Now, where had Timothy learned such? He had heeded the words from the earlier verses, the example of Christ. He understood what it meant to put the needs of others first. And he also had a unique heritage. Most of you know the background of Timothy's life. He grew up in a home where his mother uh, and his grandmother, uh, being of Jewish lineage, they knew the scriptures. They taught the, what we call the Old Testament scriptures to him. We know very little about his father, except he was a Greek. He was not Jewish himself. Some believe Timothy basically was raised in a single parent home by his mother. But Paul came ministering to Timothy's hometown. And Timothy was rather young and he met him. And though he knew a lot about the scriptures, he didn't know Jesus. But hearing Paul teach, Timothy comes to know Jesus. And Paul told him about Christ and about the Old Testament and, and how that all pointed to Jesus as the Messiah and the Redeemer who came and lived and died and rose again. So Timothy got a new heart from Christ, a changed man, and he became 
transformed. And also what became obvious over time is that Timothy had gifts for ministry. This is not normative. Not every uh, Christian is to go into vocational ministry of being a pastor like, like Timothy would ultimately become. But he had gifts for ministry and he had desire for ministry and Paul saw that. So Paul left at that time. He went and continued to minister around the Mediterranean in these travels to plant churches. And when he came back, he and Timothy just hit it off. They just really connected. And Paul became like a father to him, a spiritual father to him, and, and Timothy like a son to him. And they went together, sometimes with others, sometimes just the two of them. They planted churches, wrote books of the Bible. So Paul was the spiritual father to Timothy. Three years ago, in this past February, was the funeral for Dr. Jim Baird, who was the pastor here from 1972 to 1980. It was in First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Barbara and I were able to attend that, which was like right before the COVID lockdown happened. So we traveled over there and represented First Presbyterian Church. And one of the, the main speaker at the funeral was Randy Pope at, at Reverend Baird's request. And you know Randy, he's preached here many times. And Randy and I grew up together. Uh, I knew his father, I knew his, his mother, I knew his brother, much closer to his brother than I was to Randy. Randy is the only one living now in that family. His brother died, his, his, his father and mom had passed away. Uh, Randy's father was a dentist, and he abandoned their family when Randy was in college. And he basically, as Randy said, he not only divorced our mom, he divorced us. And uh, I'm telling you this because he told it. This is not private. Randy told it in the, in the funeral. And so Randy came here to, to Macon while he was sem in seminary. He and Carol were in seminary, and he came here for a 15-month intern year. And some of that time he was with the Bairds a whole lot at, at the house that the church owned at that time. And he had known Reverend Baird since he was in high school, since Randy was in high school in our hometown. And he said that Reverend Baird said to him, said, Randy, uh, I want to be your father. Let me be a father to you. So he, when I, when I heard that, I thought that's, that's, that's what Paul had with Timothy in, in a sense. There's... As I said, there's very little mention of Timothy's father, but Paul was a spiritual father to him as well. And Randy did remind the family before the service was over, he assumed that included uh, things that would be in the will too, that he was to be counted as a, as a son. So there was no one like Timothy. He was exceptional and Paul says that about him. Um, we all need people in our life. There's a little diagram uh, I use in the inquirer's class that, that if you put yourself, just a, a symbol for yourself in the middle, we go out this way and put P, C, you need peer Christians in your life. You need MMC, more mature Christians in your life. And you need LMC, less mature Christians in your life. And you need unbelievers in your life as well. But as far as Christian relationships in the church, we need peer Christians, but we also need those who are far beyond us in, in their walk with Christ that we can learn from and those who perhaps are young believers that, that we, can, we can share some of our failures with them and, and help them as well. Let's also, can, we can learn from the hardships that Epaphroditus faced. Look at verses 22 and following that I read. 
He mentions Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So Timothy was a trained pastor, missionary, but Epaphroditus was different. Uh, we're not told much about him, so we can only assume from this. He was not a missionary. He's never mentioned as being part of Paul's team to plant churches and when he'd go to different cities. Uh, he would be like most of the congregation here. He was, he was uh, a, a member, a, a Christian person serving in the church in Philippi. A guy who loved God and, and was serving in the church. Probably had a full-time vocation, perhaps had a family to support. We're, we're not given the details, so that's assumption. But here's the situation. Here's how Epaphroditus came there. Paul had started this church in Philippi, and uh, they're not towing cars, are they? I'm sorry, but wait, did y'all park on the street? Uh, you know, the signs were up for the cherry blossom parade when I see, uh, anyway. After the service, do not leave your car out there uh, at, after Sunday school. Don't, don't go eat somewhere and leave your car, because in the past they'll tow them, because the cherry blossom parade is this afternoon. <laughs> Maybe some people are getting texts that their car is being towed away. Ten years later, Paul's in prison after he started the church. He's awaiting trial, and the Philippians are concerned about his well-being. So they, they are concerned about him emotionally, they're concerned about him physically, so they gather up an offering to send to Paul. And Epaphroditus is a messenger. He's going to carry the gift and news from the church to Paul. Now, it sounds like an easy job, right? It was 800 miles. It took six weeks, one way. Epaphroditus is faithful. He says, I'll take it to him. And he makes the trip. During the trip, he gets sick. We don't know whether it was a condition he had. We don't know whether he picked up some kind of virus or what happened, but it was bad. And it was really bad, and he almost died from it. Paul recognizes that. But he brings, he does deliver the gift, and he completes his mission, and he... He's faithful to do what God had told him to do. Now, I looked, and I found out the population about this time, this was written around 60 A.D., the population of the world at that time was about 200 million people. Less than the United States has today, which is like 350 million. But in the world, best we can tell, was about 200 million people there. Now, out of all those people... Why does God include this guy in the Bible? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't write anything. He doesn't have any quotations that Paul uses. Because even in the small detail of his faithfulness, that was very, very important. And because of that, we have this letter. We have this letter today because this nondescript guy, apparently of great great character, delivered it after six weeks of traveling in one direction. When he went back, he goes that, he takes a letter, this letter, back to them. There are many simple behind-the-scenes tasks which you do in your service to the Lord that are of critical importance that nobody else will ever know about. They are behind the scenes, they are away from the public eye. I have a feeling if Epaphroditus was here today, 
he would not be standing up here. He'd probably be serving in some area of ministry behind the scenes, maybe taking out trash, maybe cleaning up after one of the classes or something like that. But note how Paul refers to him, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. And then he exhorts them, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of service of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There's no such thing as a risk-free faith in Christ. Sometimes call, God calls us to obedience, which involves greater risk than might otherwise. I would assume, Chad, I don't know, in some of those countries, there might have been risks. There might have been risks from disease. There might have been risks from opposition. There might have been risks from travel in, in less than safe conditions. I don't know. Uh, but there's not a risk-free obedience to Christ. And we want there to be risk-free. We want to fail safe. All right, I'll do this if I know that nothing bad can happen. I was riding in the front seat with Donnie St. Germain, who preached here a few weeks ago in a car in Haiti. I don't know if I was riding or we were flying. They drive fast. There are no traffic signals. The only traffic signal is the horn. When you're going about 50 through these villages and people step over a few inches for you to go through. I mean, it's, it's terrifying for some of them to, to, to see some of this, uh, but that's normal to them. And I asked Donnie, I turned to him, I said, Donnie, if there's a car wreck, we were about an hour out from Port-au-Prince in a small area. I said, if there's a car wreck, are there ambulances? And he said, oh, no, there's no ambulances. I said, well, who helps? He said, well, you just, you hope somebody comes out from one of the houses or from one of the villages to help you if you're in a car wreck. Well, if you were going to be a missionary there, and there are many, you'd have to think, uh, this is not, this is not making. And there's... Uh, there's risk involved with all of that. Our church members, Clay and Hannah Jones, and their three children as they prepare to move to the mission field to El Salvador, serving with the MTW, there, there will be some risk, a different first language, learning the culture, the risk of being misunderstood, the risk of giving offense when you're not trying to do that, the risk of less sophisticated medical care, and the Constant asking, what if, what if, what if, especially with young children, Rachel Pontier, leaving this summer to serve at City Church in Manchester. Again, the cultural change, what if, the risk of leaving the familiar for the unfamiliar. Close with these words by Sinclair Ferguson. Epaphroditus teaches us there is no such thing as a risk-free life of faith. Of course, one thing is certain, Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is no gamble to rest our hopes on him. Indeed, to fail to do so is to risk and lose all. When we become his, that is exactly what we are, his and no longer our own. We have yielded control over our own lives. We count our own security in this world as subservient to all our Lord's will and purposes. In that limited sense, we are all risk takers. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these elder brothers in Christ that we will meet one day for Timothy and his faithful ministry and later as a pastor in Ephesus and for Epaphroditus, this behind the scenes humble servant who was willing to risk 
in order to deliver a gift and a message that now we benefit from. We would pray for each of us to be obedient to you regardless of what you call us to do, to have hearts to live for eternity now, that eternity in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.